Hello, Consumed listeners. Welcome to the 19th season of the podcast about eaters, drinkers, thinkers, and makers across California, and especially at its heart, the Central Coast. For this season, I'm chatting with food and beverage legends, people who have made a significant impact on their industries and the palates of generations to come. I think you're going to love it. But before we begin, I want to tell you about some of the Consumed Podcast sponsors. Casa du Metz is a boutique winery in Los Alamos celebrating its 12th year in this historic one-horse town. Their attention and motivation is captured by creating aromatic fresh wines that defy expectation. With three brands, Casa du Metz, Clementine Carter, and The Feminist Party, their goal is to highlight the beauty and bounty of Santa Barbara wine country. They have a particular sweet spot for Rhone variety wines sourced from cool climate vineyard partners in the Santa Rita Hills. Join them for their popular weekly speaker series, monthly wine club vineyard tours, Malibu sessions, and a unique tasting experience where you choose your own wine adventure. Join the discovery with Casa du Metz and their sister business, Babby's Beer Emporium, next door to explore quirky craft beers and bubbles while enjoying dumplings and spicy wings from Dim Sama. 2023 marks their 19th vintage, and they want to celebrate with you. Visit casadumetz.com for more information. Slow Food Co-op's mission is to empower health and well-being in the community by providing quality groceries, local produce, and exceptional customer service. Slow Food Co-op sources from local producers, ensuring they offer their shoppers great food and household staples. Slow Food Co-op is your friendly neighborhood grocer, maintaining non-GMO standards and a variety of organic selections. You can find Slow's only community-owned grocery store open every day, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. at 2494 Victoria Avenue in San Luis Obispo, California. And check out their website at slowfood.coop. Slow Life magazine is the bi-monthly publication that introduces readers to the people, happenings, and culture of San Luis Obispo. I write the food column for Slow Life, and for the next issue, I'm talking with Sara Garafalo, a consumed alum who teaches Ayurvedic eating with an Italian twist. She just released a cookbook, and I wanted to understand more about how she came up with this special brand of dietary counseling. For locals, you can expect to find the magazine in your mailbox every other month, or if you're a visitor, pick up a copy at Boo Boo Records or subscribe at slowlifemagazine.com. Okay, on to the episode. When I developed this season of California and Central Coast Legends, I came across an article about sommelier and farmer Rajat Parr. It was written by Esther Mobley, the senior wine critic for the San Francisco Chronicle. She called him one of the wine industry's biggest celebrities and California's most influential sommelier. She's certainly not the only one who feels that way. Rajat Parr is an absolute giant of the wine world having worked as a sommelier for restaurateur Michael Mina for many years in San Francisco and co-authoring two influential books, Secrets of the Sommeliers and the Sommelier's Atlas of Taste. So imagine my surprise when he instantly accepted my email request for an interview. Since moving away from the sommelier and restaurant world, he has taken up as a farmer and winemaker in Cambria at Phelan Farm. We talked about his upbringing in Calcutta, his original goal to become a chef, 
the way he risked it all to move to San Francisco, and his legendary and well-documented blind-tasting abilities. Here is Rajat Parr. I love your hat. Um, oh. <laughs> what's your connection to Kobe? Just love it. Oh, just, uh, yeah, been a fan since day one, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to start perhaps by saying, I was telling you before we were rolling, that you've been so many different things over your career, and um, I think a lot of people think of you as one or the other for what you've been known for. So if you were at a cocktail party and somebody, and they didn't know what you did, um, and they said, hey, what do you do for a living? How would you answer them? Oh, currently I say I'm a farmer. I farm grapes and uh, some apples here in Cambria. Yeah, yeah. I heard you say that in another interview about the apples. What is the inspiration in keeping those on? Were they here before? Uh, No, no, I planted them. It's a huge inspiration because... The person whose books I read, he was a apple orchardist up in Maine, um, mm. and and he was a huge influence on uh, the kind of farming I wanted to do, mm. and uh, so and a homage to him since I learned from an apple farmer how to. Uh, do holistic sprays in my vineyard, Mm -hmm. I thought I ought to plant an apple orchard because a small one, it's only 48 trees, so Mm -hmm. yeah. Was it the apples themselves that inspired you or was it more his his farming methods and his approach? Oh, definitely his farming methods. Uh, Definitely the way he... He spoke about plants and 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 he did apples, and I kind of used that same idea from apples to uh, to vines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Maine is very different from here, though, right? Am yeah. I right? In- <laughs> Maine is complete opposite. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a lot of questions, but I'll just start from the beginning. So, you were born in Calcutta. Yeah. Okay. Can you tell me a little bit about your family? Um, who your parents are and what your upbringing was like. Yeah, so uh, it was a middle-class family. Uh, I had a uh, family that obsessed with food, so food was center of all conversations, and we had a close-knit family. Not a very big family, but, you know, with my grand grandparents and cousins and stuff, we always got together and had meals, and he always, uh, my grandfather used to have these lavish parties and he was into uh, music so he had all these artists come mm. um, play in the house and 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 uh, uh, yes I remember that clearly and my 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 parents um, also love food my mom was an amazing cook mm. my grandmother was both my grandmothers amazing did they grow anything did they farm anything or have? no 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 okay. farm nothing <laughs> but but I remember uh, going to the market very often. And just, you know, going vegetable shopping and at a young age, seeing a chicken being slaughtered or mm-hmm. a fish being filleted right in front of you. And and uh, I had never eaten anything frozen until I came to the U.S. Wow. I didn't know you could wow. freeze anything. Uh, I'd never seen anything packaged in, in any mm-hmm. packaging. I'd never seen a carton of milk or... Uh, Whoa! Yeah, there was no plastic in our lives. You know, we don't use any plastic yeah. for anything. So, so when I came here in '94, mm-hmm. um, it was kind of I was like, wow, this is like you know, people freeze things and people. So even today, I, I almost refuse to freeze anything unless it's 
it's meat or fish if I can't get it from close mm-hmm. by or uh, for me it's a hard thing to freeze anything it's hard thing for me to keep in the fridge anything more than two days old any mm-hmm. vegetables luckily we're in California so we can we have the luxury to do that you can't do that everywhere in, in, in the world definitely not yeah, yeah. and um, so much of the world lives like that you know keeping things in the fridge two days if there's refrigeration at all yeah um, yeah so that's a pretty big difference between your fridge and freezer and mine I you know I think of refrigeration as an amazing <laughs> an amazing in, invention and and freezing I try to freeze as much as I can from fresh but um, that's a really that's inspiring it takes a lot less packaging to do that I mean to, to live the way that you do to keep things um, as fresh as possible yeah we try it's again no one's perfect and it's hard every sure. time especially here in a small town Cambria you know we uh, it's you know I I am uh, you know I have to get stuff from Amazon and mm. and have to sometimes get stuff from other places that you know, but but the whole idea is to kind of uh, live as simply as possible with so we're gonna start growing our own vegetables here in the spring we have an acre dedicated to just vegetable gardens and awesome. and herbs and flowers and different things so just for the people who work here exactly it's yeah. it's only for the people who work here it's only because everyone's going to be part of the garden because mm-hmm. that's the whole idea here because we want to kind of have everyone uh sustained here from from our land so yeah. so when we have the land we're fortunate to to use it in the best way we you know we we keep all our all our uh, vine cuttings and all our mm-hmm. um we make wine here, so we keep all our um, pumice from the from the from the grapes, mm-hmm. and then use that as compost, and uh, and then yeah, it's 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 just trying to keep the keep the ecosystem in this place, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, without waste, not no no yeah. garbage, and helping your the people who support this company and this farm too, because it I love that tradition of vineyard gardens that support the people who work where they where they're gardening yeah well i'm excited because you know i think i think that you know everyone has a uh, different reasons why they have a job and i think mm-hmm. hopefully if you're living in cambria and you're working here with us and we want that to kind of be you know a part of your life because you we you, you serve you help us yeah. serve our guests and i want to make sure that you, you know we Give something back in return. Yeah. So when did you leave Calcutta or India? Uh, I left. I left Calcutta quite young. When when I went to college in the south of India, and I was eighteen. Right? When I left, uh, I left India to go to uh, to come to New York to culinary school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had just turned did twenty-two. You, did you do hotel management somewhere though? I did hotel management in 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 uh, a small town in south, southern India, mm-hmm. and then I came to the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York, in '94. What drew you to hospitality in the first place? Uh, you know, watching my grandparents like host all these parties and like entertaining, and and then my cousins in Delhi had. Had a few restaurants, so mm-hmm. when I was a kid, I used to go to New Delhi and hang out with them, and you know, always be with them in the offices. I'd be in the restaurant with them since I was you know, little, and, and I'm like, yeah, one day I'm gonna have my own restaurant. That was that was mm-hmm. 
goal since I was uh, 10 years old. Was that a common thing among people, you know, the kids that you grew up with? No, having a, no, <laughs> no, having a restaurant and, and especially if you wanted to cook, like there was, you know, mm. a cook, the cook didn't really get much respect because, yeah. you know. It's not like a chef here. Definitely not. Yeah. Definitely not. I mean, now maybe there are, there are celebrity chefs everywhere in the world, yeah. including India, but at that time in the, in the 80s and early 90s, not much. Yeah. When I had Greg and Daisy Ryan from Bells on here, I told them I went to Vassar College right around the corner from Amazing. the CIA um, and never, never went, which is just goes to show how things evolve. I just had no interest in going at the time. Yeah. Um, what, the, I mean, that's kind of the gold standard in terms of hospitality in the U.S., or at least it was at the time. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think it still is. Uh, you know, it's a big school, a big program with lots of students. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's uh, you know, like in any, any school, uh, you learn uh, what you put into it. Mm -hmm. So you can just skim the surface and leave by learning nothing, or you can go deep dive and because and, the, the library there is insane. It's incredible. The book library? The book and the video, and they yeah. have they have all this program. They have all these different classes. There's, there's a lot to learn, and you can learn a lot, or you can just go to class mm. and pass and leave. So, and which kind of student were you? I was the former, so I was I went deep dive. I you yeah. know, uh, that's when I got hooked onto wine. I was like you know first time tasting wine. I'm like wow, this is like as a kid you eat grapes and you know, like this is you know and you have like grape juice and you're like this is wine you're like oh, fascinating yeah because yeah, you know there's been wine has such a deep meaning of course it's a beverage we love and it's tasty and stuff. but then there's been like you know it's a big part of religion it's a big part it's of true yeah you know and, and, and then now it's a big part of you know even the social aspect of life you yeah. always have you know uh, if you go to a dinner party even even in India you go I go and I went back then 2019 I was like surprised people actually offering wine at mm. people's homes I'm like wow this is what kind of wine are they offering is it stuff you knew or is no, it no it was Indian wine wow yeah I mean I don't mean to be surprised I know wine is made everywhere what was that wine like yeah it was, you know it was just harmless it was harmless <laughs> I yeah, it. it was it was good. It was it yeah. wasn't anything like you know blew your mind, but it was like, yeah, yeah. Um, what kind of varieties were they offering? There was like Sauvignon Blanc and oh. you know some red blend, but more white, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. Like, I was in gin and tonic, so I wasn't drinking any uh, wine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wine. Um, I read that at the CIA you went to be a chef. Yeah. So did you get deep into method and, um, you know, getting your chops with all the different skills? And I mean, I'm thinking like things as basic as knife skills and yeah. the, you know, escoffier and all that yep, kind of thing. All of that. Yeah. So, you know, the course is kind of a generic course of you doing all these different things of product identification and chopping and all these basic cooking methods and, and then service and, Wine is a small part of it. Mm. Wine is only, I think, maybe at the time it was a six-week program. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So, but, like, you know, I love to cook, and that was natural to me because I, you know, cooked when I was, uh, when I was in India. Mm -hmm. uh, but learning all these new products, I'd never seen all these. I'd never seen, like, you know, all these different 
quail and squab and mm. you know beef was mm-hmm. something we ate in india so it had you know, all these cuts of meat it was all all new yeah um and then when the wine course came out i was like wow this is interesting this is like mm. much more complicated than i thought so had you ever had wine before yeah mm. yeah yeah my uncle uh, in england i had one with him and yeah i you know it was um but just realized that he just like you know just seen something so new as it's something mm. which i had not never thought about and i found it interesting i found the flavors interesting and yeah i kept kind of just being attracted to learn about wine yeah yeah when you were in school i mean what i know of you is um a voracious appetite for information and and flavor obviously but that you are really a student when it comes down to it and i wonder about in other areas of life outside of wine do you have that same studiousness yeah, yeah. and curiosity yeah i get very yeah very curious mm-hmm. uh if i see something i've never heard of i'm like huh how is that and uh, i want to you know and of course uh, now you have uh, all information on the internet uh, yeah. which is, is really good. it's limitless it's yeah but but back in the day in, you know in 96 when i moved to san francisco mm. you know it was it, well, you couldn't like if you want to learn about wine you got to go to the library and find a book or ask yeah. someone who's who's been there so for me even today i you know try to read and and try to stay up to date it's it's hard but it's mm. something that you know and i always believe that you you practice it and that's how you learn yeah like when yes. i when i was young i was like you they say you can you know this place in france makes this wine and i want to go there mm-hmm. so it's it's like that you know yeah. you can you can learn the same thing in through a youtube video or a, yeah or a book i'm jumping ahead a bit but there is uh, there are stories of your legendary ability to identify a wine you know where it's from down to down to the vineyard i think right sometimes um and the year and the producer and all of that um and i'm thinking about the explosion of being a sommelier as a as a job option mm. But then I think about you and how you have not just read about wine but you've been you've experienced it you've worked hard to gain this knowledge base. What do you make of the big ex, you know the explosion of I can turn that off. Oh, that's fine. Sure. We have a cold case that just kicked on. just pull the plug. <laughs> It's not going to spoil or anything. Okay. It'll be short. Um the the explosion of sommeliers and an interest in that as a profession. You mentioned YouTube. Do you think that the understanding the the visceral hands-on understanding of wine globally is less is it less deep because of the access of the internet and and that mindset is different now i think yeah the, the it's it's less deep but it depends you know you cannot just learn blind tasting by reading a book or blind tasting 20 wines or 100 wines or 1000 wines yeah it's it's a part of your being you know yep so the same thing about understanding 
how to, you know, identify wine or how to find a place. Because in in wine, one plus one does not equal two. Mm. What does that mean? This means that if you say, "Am I? You know, this is this is a variety, and this is the soil. Mm-hmm. It should taste like this." Mm-hmm. No, there's the human factor. There's the other different uh, factor Mother Nature throws you away. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the grape variety and the soil, and the wine should taste like this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of X factors, and that's what makes wine so complicated. Because it's 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 you know you could grow Chardonnay. Mm-hmm. In France, in California, in South Africa, in New Zealand, in Australia, in the UK. Mm-hmm. And they can all taste different or they can all taste similar mm-hmm. if they're made in a formula. So if that's the case, how do you explain your ability to identify something that... How do you, how do you explain your ability to like triangulate typicity? Yeah, because I, I was trained on the classics, mm, right? Mm-hmm. If somebody brings me a wine from, a Chardonnay from like Romania mm-hmm. or Bulgaria and it's made in a very Burgundian style, I can't identify oh, that. Okay. It's it's impossible because, you know, it's, it's getting harder and harder to identify wines, mm. which, are, you know, the other day I had a, a Pinot Noir from Japan, from Hokkaido, which I identified wow. correctly. Oh, um, but so you still got it then? No, because I'd had the wine before. Oh, yeah, so, but but if it, if it wasn't if it wasn't for that, if I hadn't had the wine before, I would probably have never guessed that wine. Right, you don't have a matrix by which to identify it. Yeah, there's 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 no formula because so much of wine is just your intuition, how you farm it, mm. how you make it. You know, it's, 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 I mean, some people follow a recipe, which is like exactly what, you know, you have to do every year, but the best producers go off intuition, mm. they, how they feel, you know, how the weather is that year, when they pick it and the wine, you know, also if you're making wine, um, you know, without any much, many additives or any additives, mm-hmm. then the wine is, you know, left to its own devices. Speaking. It's, it's going to be like different every yeah. year. Every year, yeah. It occurs to me that there are a lot of psalms who have gone, I shouldn't say a lot, but the more typical um, path is from psalm to farmer or psalm to winemaker. I think that happens more often than the other direction. 100%. Because I can't think of one. <laughs> Maybe you can. <laughs> uh no, I think I think no, I think I think not. No, no, there, no, there's there's at least one example um, uh, of uh, uh, Christopher Bates up in uh, upstate New York, and he was a chef, and he became you know mm-hmm. a sommelier and master sommelier, hmm. an incredible, incredible uh, a person has a restaurant and stuff. But that's but from a no farmer, not as a winemaker, or a farmer. No, yeah, I will not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that that's that's a hard one because because it needs to be to be a world class sommelier. It takes so much time and energy and yeah. effort, and you make no money for the first. I mean, at mm. least back in the day, and now it's a different story probably. But but back in the day, you would you would you know wasn't a high paying high paying job, mm. and you know you would really make nothing for five or ten years. Yeah, I mean, I I know that it. Back when you were first working, it was often seen as very much 
um, a server, yeah. a server position, not a specialty position, yeah. not at least not at first. And, and it should be that. I, I think. Mm. I think that the, the the downfall of the sommelier uh, is that becoming maybe too arrogant or mm. like mm. you know replacing me with you. That means that. I will tell you what you should drink. That mm. attitude is incorrect because when a guest comes to a restaurant, your job as a wine steward or sommelier is to please your guest. Mm -hmm. If they want something, you will give them what they want because mm -hmm. that's hospitality. That's basic hospitality. And if you impose your will and say, no, that is not, you should not drink that and you should drink this, it's different if it's a dish or something like that, but if, but mostly you can't. You know, you you need to you know be in service. Yeah, and that's hospitality. I think that is something that is missing because I think I think the the mentorship uh, programs have kind of pretty much you know a lot of people. You know, also there's been a very sudden change in in uh, in in you know mentors. So everyone's like either left their jobs or retired or. So you're saying on. mentorship so, has not been as much a thing as it was for Yeah, you. I think when I was there, we had you know, Larry Strong's my mentor, and yeah. he, he mentored thousands of people. Really? Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh. I mean, I mean, really, I mean, directly, indirectly, he mm. is right on top of, of, the, of the, you know, the godfather of the wine world. He's, you know, I mean, there's a handful of people, but he's one of them. Yeah. And, and I think that, um, I mean... I, I used to train as many young people and still do mm. uh, as I can, but not in that role anymore because I don't work in restaurants. Uh, <clears throat> but I think that has changed now because, you know, there are not that many people like, you know, like you, know, you have Aldo Som mm -hmm. and Pascaline mm -hmm. and a handful of, you know, Paul Greco. Who are in service to others, yeah. to people that are coming up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they are the ones who... Train. They're the ones who kind of really uh, make this, uh, you know, make the wine world go round and round. Because it's mm -hmm. like they've trained you. Because, you know, what is wine? It's history for yeah. the most part. It's yeah. like you know, it's just a, you know, and and if somebody doesn't tell you what they're supposed to be, how do you pass it on to the next person? Right. You, uh, I, I had once been told. I think it's really good advice that. In, in your life, whatever season you're in, there should always be somebody ahead of you that's teaching you, helping you move through that, and somebody behind you that you're helping. Um, is Larry Stone still the person ahead of you, or do you yeah, have yeah, other yeah. mentors now, people I, you look to? Yeah, I, several, but he's definitely been my North Star. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it occurs to me also that when you were talking about you can't learn you cannot learn wine without being regularly tasting it and submerged in it. And I would also guess, you know, visiting these vineyards and meeting the winemakers, doing something hands-on. Um, I think now, this is just my amateur opinion, but I think now it's actually quite common to consider yourself a wine expert based on reading. And I'm actually very guilty of that. I mean, yeah. and not tasting. Because I didn't have access yeah. My tasting abilities are awful, but I didn't have the kind of access that somebody who works in a restaurant or wine shop, you know, there's always something open. Yeah. You have people bringing new things all the time. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think you can learn a lot by by reading. There's so much video content out there now, um, and you can learn much faster than you could back in yes. 20 years ago, 100%, no mm-hmm. doubt. But to really feel it, to really know it on the deepest way, you have to go and see it. Because yeah. once you see it, it's in it's front of you. You're like, oh, mm. now I get it. Oh, it's that steep slope. Okay, yeah. it's not this flat vineyard, or you know, whatever the case may be. Or, or the soil is so loose or so mm-hmm. hard, or whatever the case may be. It's like, or you're in a hailstorm, or yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's just you know, I, I still spend ninety uh, percent of my travel mm. uh, going to see um, producers and friends mm-hmm. around the world and uh, learning, still learning because you can never stop. That Somalia's Atlas of Taste also came out within the last five, six years. Uh, and you made a point of going to each of these places, oh, I yeah. believe, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's nothing in that book. Uh, the only chapter which I didn't personally, uh, Jordan went was Tuscany. Mm. But every other place in that book was covered by going there and talking to the producers. Was uh, Tuscany, was that a personal decision? You no. Something against No, no, no. no, I, I, no I, <laughs> of course in, not. No, no. I, I do. I, I want to rewrite that chapter because mm. there's so much uh, new information uh, I've gathered since then. And I want to add Jura and Savoie to the book, hopefully. Yeah. But no, it, I, the, the, the Tuscan part was, I just, you know, I was tra- traveled for almost six years for the book. Oh and I just couldn't make that last part of the trip. I was not feeling well, and I had to yeah. skip out on on one of the one of the trips. And mm. um, yeah, so Jordan, Jordan he did that. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so back to I mean, we haven't even touched on how you wound up in San Francisco and really got your legs as a sum. Uh, so you. I know you had an interest in San Francisco, or somebody said, "Larry Stone, you got to be with this guy." Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a quick, quick story. Yeah. Here. So, I'm at the Cullen Institute. I'm about to graduate. I have a six month visa to work anywhere I want, only six months, and after that, I'm gonna go back home. Mm. So here we are in graduating in September. I knew I love wine. I'm like, if I'm gonna be here for six more months, I should learn something new. I love wine, and my instructor told me he's like you know you should go and work for a great sommelier and you learn the fastest there mm-hmm. so i i went to uh, talk to daniel jonas mm-hmm. uh, in new york and more share the time and he interviewed me and he didn't have a position for me so he said you should go work for larry stone and at that same time the wine spectator had this article in san francisco and wherever larry stone you know he's the best sommelier in the world i'm like all right i sent him uh, a letter and asking for a job, and I got a mm-hmm. call, and I read sent sixty five other letters with stamps and like addresses. Yeah, written. yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. And and it was all like to work front of the house, and I got many job offers to be line cooks and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I got a call back from Rubicon where Larry was mm-hmm. uh, that uh, for an interview. Uh, That's lucky. That's so lucky. so I borrowed money from a friend. Bought a one-way ticket to San Francisco. Was staying with a friend of mine in in Hayward, um, and straight from the airport went for the interview. Interview the the manager is like, oh, you know, we don't have a sommelier position. We can offer you a food runner. 
mm-hmm. or a busboy position. Mm-hmm. I'm like straight from the CIA to busboy. I'm like, you know, I don't really. Which, ha- hey, that I mean, that's uh, a great tradition. And I'm like, you know, I didn't have enough money to go back because mm. I only bought a one-way ticket and I have six months. I'm like, w- worse come worse, I'll work here in six months. I'll learn something. I'll go back home. Mm-hmm. It'll, be, it'll be done. Uh, and then I just uh, ended up uh, loving it, ended up clicking with Larry, and he made me his assistant, and then he agreed to sponsor me and uh, for the visa, and I stayed <laughs> still here. Isn't that insane that if that letter hadn't been replied to, yeah, things would be very different for you? Yeah. Very different. I mean, and it speaks to the the kindness of others to hire someone, you know, without knowing a whole lot about them, giving them a chance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so then from there, you are actually moving pretty quickly, opening restaurants, getting hooked up with Michael Mina. Yeah. Um, living in the Millennium Tower, which everybody makes a very big deal about. And I don't understand. I don't know the Millennium Tower. Why is that important? I don't know. It was... It was <laughs> It was a fun. At the time, there were not that many high-rise buildings yeah. with all these perks, not that I needed them, but I, it happened to be above my restaurant, and I'm like, I'll be close to work, and that was my only reason to live there. So That's a lot of immersion, <laughs> though, being right next to the job, and yeah. I mean, from what I understand, you completely submerged yourself in the world. Yeah, it was my first restaurant, and mm-hmm. and... I was the face of it, and Michael's like, yeah, you got to take this and, yeah, make it yours. So I'm like, I got to be there every day, all day, mm-hmm. and and that was that, yeah. Is there anything, uh, this might be a question you don't want to answer, is there anything you wish you'd done differently in that? That's a lot of time and energy to give to one thing. But maybe that's your personality. Maybe that's where you're happiest. Yeah, I am. I, okay. I'm either 100 or zero, Mm. I can't do 90 or 20%. It's like, I got to just deep dive and, you know. So I spent more time uh, seating guests and clearing tables and Mm. we had a whole sommelier team. So I only went to, I only went to a a table uh, to talk to them if I had a a personal, Mm -hmm. otherwise I would not, I would let the sommeliers deal with the guests, yeah. Are you still in touch with a lot of those people from those teams? Oh, yeah. yeah and have yeah. they gone on to Yeah, yeah. They've gone things. on and have their own wineries and restaurant and import company and mm. different things, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about your tasting ability, which is well-covered territory, I know, but I want to relate. So there's a story in um, your first book that you wrote with Jordan McKay about a time that you did a blind tasting and you were sick. (laughs) You were sick and you said, I don't want to do this tasting, but some people brought in a bottle and they really wanted to either test you. I suppose that's what it was. They wanted to test your ability. Um, And so you, they asked you to identify it and you were able to do it at the very least down to the producer and the village, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what I want to understand is, can you kind of walk me through what you're thinking when something hits your palate and you're trying to identify it? Do you, is it almost like photographic memory? I, it's hard for me to say that because 
I don't have that for everything in life. Mm. Maybe wine mm. is, uh, maybe taste, maybe something about the the taste, the smell. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a part of muscle memory. Like, it's just like, you know, when I, when I worked for Larry, he used to come in the middle of service and give me a little, less than a quarter ounce of wine. And I'm in the middle of a waiter. I'm just serving. Mm. What is it? And I had to guess it in like five seconds or less. Mm. So I became a quick blind taster. Like yep. it was like, I smell it, like taste it, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. So, because the thing is, it's, it's blind tasting is like a, a puzzle. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot like the Rubik's Cube, mm-hmm. uh, which I love for the kid. <laughs> that everything has to come together to... No, what the wine is. So you understand one piece for sure. Yeah. And you start deducing over the course of it. Yeah. Getting closer and closer to what it might be. Yeah. I mean, either that or you recognize the smell like that Japanese one I had. Yeah. Just recognize that smell from, you know. Yeah. It is also, though, I know, not the most important part about you, your career, about the profession of being a sommelier. It's not the most important thing, identifying something, but it is it is a function of understanding for the layperson how incredible this this tool is for you. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't mean to put a huge emphasis on that, but it is something that um, I do. I wanted to indulge that parlor trick a little bit yeah no i I, mean, I used to be really really good i totally lost a lot of yeah. practice because i don't do it too often a friend of mine came during harvest and he brought four wines to taste blind with me and mm. that was fun yeah i bet yeah uh so you mentioned uh the transition to this new part of you the mm. farmer part of you what was it like to leave your sommelier job, what inspired that? And did it feel good? Did it feel difficult? Because um, that's a big change. Yeah. It was, I, I don't think it, it was... So I, it, I let, it was two transitions. Transition one was um, when, I, when I left the restaurant, I moved to Santa Barbara to focus on, on uh, the two wineries we have is Sashi Mormon, uh, three of them actually, but Sandi, Dominola Cote, Evening Land. And I went there to help uh, promote those wineries because Sashi had a, a young daughter and he couldn't travel. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go and be here for the harvest and uh, make the wine with you. And then I'm going to go and promote the wines and mm-hmm show the world what, what is happening with these three wineries. Was, sorry to interrupt, but was Sashi the one who said, Raj, you have to come here and you have to see this, you have to get involved? Or was no, it more you, that was no, a place you wanted to it go? It was a place I wanted to go because I was working in restaurants and I was just like, you know, in the end of 2013, I was just like tired, just tired of just being, you know. Wearing a suit? I was no, I I was wearing it just you know I had RN seventy four was no suit just jeans and a okay. sweater or a jacket okay but before that it was all suits and ties for many many years uh, so I just wanted to kind of you know be a good partner and now I'm you know my contribution will be 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go around. So the wine starts traveling a lot, and that was between 2014 and the pandemic. And that mm-hmm. was, uh, you know, six years of just, I was doing research on the book, and I was, I was showing the wines and doing events and everything else. Mm-hmm. And, and that was the opposite, because I was in the restaurant, I was always working in one place, I did trips, but not that many of them. But now I was on the road for like uh, six years. Yeah. Uh, traveling 200 days out of the year. That's, um, that's a lot. So <laughs> so then that happened. And then the pandemic came. And I was, again, just tired of traveling. And then we had this vineyard here in Cambria, which, which we were... Uh, buying grapes for Sandy, and I decided to kind of move here, and I was like, I've never farmed a vineyard. I want to move here and learn how to farm, and, and uh, you know. And you were able, did you take over, or was somebody in your team already farming? Yeah, no, it, it was it was farmed by by Greg uh, Greg Phelan, who, okay. who owned it. He, he was farming it, and, and I, you know, at least I said, I'm, I'm going to take it. I had no idea of farming anything. I never farmed anything. Mm. Um, and just moved here and spent the winter reading and, and talking to people and just listening to podcasts and just, mm-hmm. and did that for like six months. And then the season started and we started with, uh, with, uh, more of a holistic and regenerative idea to, to farming and, and, uh, started the journey in, uh, early 21. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty much alone at at the property. It's a eleven hundred acre property with eleven point two acres planted to vines, and then mm. I planted some apples. And no phone service, no internet. Wow! So I was there alone and got some animals, uh, got mm. sheep and chickens, and these wonderful dogs. And kind of uh, it was pretty kind of uh, amazing, quiet life all of twenty one through the pandemic. Did it feel good right off the bat, or was there discomfort with it at all because it no, was so different? No discomfort. It was amazing because mm-hmm. it was, saw very few people, spoke to very few people. Mm-hmm. You know, you you spend your whole day and sometimes weeks and a month without a lot of interaction on the phone. or mm-hmm. So it was really amazing. I, I you know, focused on... On I, I identified the people who I wanted to learn from, and those are through podcasts and books, mm, mm-hmm. and and I, you know, learned from them uh, in that way. Who are some of those people um, or podcasts and, and uh, Dr. Elaine Ingham is an important one. She's uh, has Soil Food Web, and uh, mm. you know, to understand Mother Nature, she really helped me with that. Like just not directly. I've I've talked to her on the, on, mm. on on Zoom once, but through some of her students and her amazing website and and the classes and stuff she does, and many podcasts. So she was one of the most important ones. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the, Michael Phillips, the the orchardist from Maine, who passed away uh, mm-hmm. recently. Um, again, through his books and maybe a few podcasts. Um, and you discovered him through Soil Health, or. Was that what you were I, looking for? Uh, no, I think I I bought. I was looking. I was looking at um, 
at uh, uh, planting some apples and I bought the, mm. the book. And in the book, I read what his other holistic ways of farming. So it kind of mm. happened like that. And I have all his books now. And and uh, and I think these two people were probably the most instrumental. And, and Dr. Zach Bush, mm. who has nothing to do with wine or anything, but uh, he is... Uh, just the brightest light and mm. just learn uh, understanding about environment and about you know how uh depleted uh the planet has become mm-hmm. and you know i i kind of took some personal blame on that because i was traveling so much and uh, yeah. using so much and not giving back anything uh of any uh and so i decided that i you know the rest of my days here i will uh try to at least improve of what I have mm. you know I can't a small place like this can't change the world but my goal is that I can be a voice mm-hmm. with many others and and do the right thing and and improve soil health mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, with what we have here you know yeah. it's a very small way and and wine has a pretty good platform you know if I grew yeah. potatoes or soy <laughs> or, or anything else I probably would no one listen to me but you know I think with uh, with these people who are just giving up so much of their energy and time and mm-hmm. talking about these serious issues of you know how much time we have you know how many literally the scientists have proven how many harvests mm-hmm. of vegetables we have the planet has it's, like, it's so, so so scary yeah. and heartening it's yeah Yes, somebody has to do something. Yeah, so I don't want to be part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I will do what I can do in the very small place here till I have as much time I have. And yeah, so that those things kind of really kind of I um, went deep on those those subjects and these three humans mm-hmm. who I've never met in person. But um, yeah, that's yeah. so great. Um, and it sounds like it's been a personal. It's been a personal transformation too. I mean, the pandemic, I think it did that for many people. It reorganized a lot of priorities. Mm. Uh, And there's something I love. I I really loved it at the time, you know, March, 2020, fine. But then we go into harvest season or I was in contact with a, a row crop farmer at the time quite a bit. And the fact that the earth doesn't stop, it doesn't stop. The grapes are going to continue to grow. The sheep are going to continue to eat. Um, there's something really grounding about that, I suppose. Yeah. So for you to go through that transition at a time, it's, it just seems like a fortuitous time. Yeah, because, you know, most of us just take it for granted. You know, mm-hmm. you just want to go and gets oh what you out of milk you out of eggs how mm-hmm. why mm-hmm. you know everything has to end that yeah. you just there's not a surplus of everything so it's just you know that i think just that you know we cannot get we should not be able to buy tomatoes in december should not right right and there are or we should not be eating asparagus in you know November November you know and just things like that but it's mm-hmm. like but it's become such a thing that it's just the same thing just keeps coming and and it's because uh, we have the access to it and mm-hmm. we can fly it in from anywhere Global. yeah right yeah 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 it's yeah so 
Yeah. Well, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's. <laughs> uh. Well, let me ask you about Cambria itself. Mm. This is not a, in terms of modern commercial grape growing, there isn't a lot up here. There's a little, um, and really all I know of aside from this property is Derbyshire, which is, it is very coastal like this, but it's also a little, it's higher altitude than this. What others are there around here? Who are your neighbors? In yeah, that the, the, wine growing is not something Cambria is known for. Uh, there's, yeah, literally three, three vineyards, um. I guess maybe four. I haven't been to Cutrozola, but I think they're oh, up, that's right. They're, they're yes, up the street here, but um, but it's Phelan. Mm-hmm. It's eleven acres here. At Stolo, twenty three acres, and then Derbyshire. Yeah, and these are small. And, yeah, and you know it's a hard place to grow grapes organically. Yeah. So what what drew you to here? What made you gave you the confidence to come and do this here? Oh, that's a good. Particular? It's it's a good question. It was today is what November eighth uh, today. Yeah, eighth. Uh, yes. So it's November eighth, and we are picking our last grapes. And what were they? What are they? It's Syrah. Okay. It's it's uh, it's been here um, since ninety eight, and uh, yeah, at at. Optimal ripeness before the rains come. The rains are coming in a few days. Mm. And these late ripening varieties are perfect here. They are, they, mm. We pick them at the peak of ripeness for us, which is not big in high alcohol. Fresh wines, natural acidity, good flavor. Mm-hmm. Uh, to get to this point is hard because we have you know a lot of... Uh, the weather, we only had three days above 90 degrees this this, right. uh, this year. So, But, you know, I think I'm committed to organic and regenerative farming. Mm-hmm. So that's my job to figure that out and what grapes work. But I like the late wrapping varieties, picking it late. Yeah. And, and then as you pick the grapes... The rains come and it nourishes the vines. Right. Have you, have you, sorry to interrupt, have you had any wonderful surprise successes where something you did or or let mother nature do turned out to be the right decision for the end product see i'm still learning so it hasn't been very long it hasn't been very long so uh the journey i've had probably more failures than successes so far Mm -hmm. but in those failures i've learned how to recover and how to hope for the next season because um, mother nature is so forgiving and uh, even with the mistakes I know I made and you know she comes back and gives you another chance mm-hmm. so the success is just recognizing that uh, mm-hmm. and you know I, I think that in agriculture people say you have to look at things in five years or 10 year blocks, yeah. you know, it's not one year. So I'm still in my first five years. So I think I'll have a better answer in two years maybe. Yeah. Uh, and then I can point out my successes because right now, um, you know, it's still kind of hazy. I'm still figuring mm-hmm. it out, mm-hmm. trying to kind of, you know, be more uh, holistic in the way we manage, uh, manage the land and, you know, trying to figure out how we can, use our animals to graze and mm-hmm. plant a new vineyard and kind of really kind of, I think 
maybe in another five, ten years, I'll have a better idea of, yes. you know, where we really, you know, what we really did. And, mm-hmm. and yeah. It's a slow turn. It's like, here, I'm going to speak like I know, but it sounds like it's like turning a cruise ship. It's slow. It's going to take a while before it starts to move, and you can't really know what decisions mean yeah. for a while. Yeah, and also because there's not that much information. You know, you can, because I didn't want to follow just the traditional uh, farming techniques, and you know, I wanted to be more connected with 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 nature and be more holistic in in our applications and what we grow and how we grow it, and mm. didn't just want to kind of uh, use the old template, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, so with that, there's not enough, not enough information. We do a lot of our brews, which are homemade brews from uh, from different uh, from different um, plants we grow around. You mean like around. like steeping teas that? Kind yeah, of yeah. Teas we use, you know, ocean water or honey or turmeric or hmm. willow or whatever, you know. This year we're gonna try something new. So, you know, those things are more on the experimental because there's not like a handbook written on it. Yeah. So it's, are they uh, your? Where do you gather things like that? I read Esther Mobley's piece, and she mentions milk. You using yeah, milk, uh, milk has been used uh, for a long time mm-hmm. actually in many places. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I heard of it from a friend of mine in Burgundy, mm-hmm. and it works. Um, and other things. You know, it's 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 but well, these are all these are all kind of experimental trial and other things that, you know, I don't want to be preaching to tell someone, oh, you must do this, and then they try yeah. it and it ruins the crop. Cause yeah, it depends where you are, how you use it, and so, so you know, it's it's again being being, trying to being in sync with with the place and trying to, you know, I, t- I tell my uh, my small team, I said, you know, we'll be. A, we are farming microbes, mm, you know, mm-hmm. and the microbes grow on plants. But you have the, to start there. Yeah, because yeah. you know, because the traditional idea is let's kill it. It's like I got a fever. Let me have something that kills my fever right mm-hmm, now, mm-hmm. or I have a virus. Let me eliminate this virus, or have, you know, the, I, the these ideas are are Western ideas mm-hmm. of eliminate. A problem, yeah, you can eliminate it. Another one's gonna come right behind that. Yeah. So you know, the the goal is to to preserve the the biome, preserve your own biome, preserve your the places. Every place has its own, you know, different. So we have to use uh, what we use on plants very carefully and not eliminate. Uh, these these microbes because yeah, there might be bad microbes. Mm-hmm. But if you want to kill the bad microbes, you're going to kill all the good ones. Yeah. So if, yeah, you when, can't. When you have antibiotics, isolate. and I'm not saying I'm, I'm not against antibiotics. Sure. If we have an illness and we have to cure antibiotics 100%, but it's a very serious thing to use. Mm-hmm. You better be ready that you're eliminating a lot and it could take a long time for it to come back. Right, right. Uh, I was just thinking about that Esther Mobley piece, which was really well done, I thought. She mentioned the fact that you don't use sulfur in the vineyard. And I, my husband and I worked in a vineyard near Bologna for a time. And I remember watching, they were very proud of their organic status, biodynamic leaning. 
and spraying sulfur all over everything. And I remember feeling like that's an awful lot of stuff going out on these vines. Was that, that's, uh, that's 90, do people look at you like you're crazy for that? That's 99% of the wine world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not against it. I'm not, I'm not saying that if you spray sulfur, it's bad. And I just think the overuse of it is just not sustainable. You know, mm-hmm. exactly as I said, you know, it's like, it's like saying that, oh, I'm going to have some wine tonight. Let me first have an Advil. <laughs> I'm not going to say I haven't done that before. <laughs> yeah, but, but every day? No, no, no. Every, time you, ha- every time you have a glass of wine, you're going to have an Advil? No, no. no. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. I'm, I, the thing is that these are all things that someone has done before us, and this is what it ends up. Oh, yeah. So I'm not saying that sulfur is bad. Mm. I'm saying that if that's all you're going to spray yeah. all the time, it's, yeah, because yeah, yeah. you're eliminating all the beautiful flora. Mm-hmm. You know, you you are you are pretty much nuking the biome. Yeah, it's like you know, some people have an aspirin every day. Yeah, yeah, or you know, or regularly. Mm-hmm. To, yeah, yeah, but it has other effects. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like a machine gun. Yeah, so, so, so again, I'm not saying, you know, you shouldn't have aspirin or sulfur. I'm not as, no. But I'm just saying that just think mm-hmm. of what the effects are. Just don't do without knowing. Yeah. So, listener, Rajpar is not saying you can't take antibiotics. <laughs> I just would hate for someone to be like... I am not saying that. No, no, no. No, no. chance. Yeah, we're making that clear. You have given me an hour, and I really appreciate that. Let me ask you one last question that I ask everybody, which is, let's say today you find out that tomorrow you will die. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you've gotten this question before, but what would you eat today if you wanted to celebrate your life's work and your family and, and your team and this, and this ground that you've chosen to farm? You wanted to celebrate what would you eat and what would you drink and who would be there? And it can be wines that no longer exist, that are tapped out, mm. or um, you can have access to anything and you can also be with people who are no longer here. No, it's a simple, it's, it's, I would drive to San Francisco. I would have a long lunch at Zuni Cafe. Oh, I love Zuni. The chicken. They have the roast chicken, order yeah. a bottle of Alamont Cornas. Mm. And uh, yeah, well, whichever friends wants to join, they mm. can join. No one specific. Or, yeah. Or excluded. Everybody. Everybody's invited. <laughs> okay, you heard it here first. You can go to a party with Raj on his last day. All right, thanks so much for letting me come up here, see this beautiful place, and chat with you for a bit. My pleasure. Thank you. That's it for another conversation on the Consumed Podcast. If you like what you heard, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Sign up for the newsletter at letsgetconsumed.com and follow along on Instagram at consumed.podcast. This podcast is edited by Chris Lambert and produced by me, Jamie Lewis. Until next time, thanks for listening.